Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to uh, second hour of Amplify. Our guest is Mike Aquilina. I don't think he needs uh, an invitation. An invitation. <laughs> Doesn't need uh, to explain who he is. He's been on the program a number of times. And this is his latest book we're talking about, St. Joseph and His World. Uh, we've been talking um, a whole lot about Herod and his world. Uh, and uh, they were so different. Herod spent his reign in the limelight. And Joseph grew up in ob- obscurity. Um, um, Mike, um, what do we know about the life of a carpenter that Joseph, Joseph was said to have been and and then Jesus in imitation of his father. Well, you usually grew up in your trade. It's the trade that your family practiced, and it was passed on from father to son. So it's quite likely that Joseph grew up in a family that dedicated itself to carpentry. And so he was raised making things. You know, from the earliest times, they would have the kids around the workshop, the boys especially, and they would have to clean up after the their elders they would you know uh get all the sawdust out of off the floor sweep it up and then they would graduate into making things making small tools or small toys or 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 things that could be sold um you know little things and then they would move into more elaborate things as they got older Often, uh, these carpenters uh, would, would travel to work sites as well if there were construction projects going on. And all through the reign of King Herod, there were many construction projects going on. As I said before, Herod constructed amphitheaters and boulevards. He, he made harbors. He had all of these grand projects. He built cities where nothing had been before. So, so all of these projects required carpenters. And we think now of carpenters using power tools and of these, these big machines that raise big buildings. Well, Herod raised big buildings, but he didn't have big machines, and his carpenters didn't have big machines. So they would have to go and construct scaffolding. They would have to go and construct cranes out of wood in order to do the work that was, that, that was necessary for the buildings. So Joseph likely was involved in these projects. If you had one of these these uh, construction projects, well, you might have to walk there every day, several miles. You had to walk to the work site, then work a long day, and then walk back home uh, as as night was falling. 
Sometimes you, you probably had to sleep there at the work site and then just come home in time for the Sabbath. Um, all of the, these things were, were normal for carpenters in that time. Joseph probably grew up into that, and Jesus probably grew up into the trade just as his father had before him. And so um, it was the carpenters, as you said, who built the wagons and tools, uh, furniture, tools for farming. Yeah. uh, And uh, a small workshop might also make water wheels for irrigation and fences of containment of livestock. And you point out that uh, the demand for artisans was universal during Joseph's childhood and youth and that Carpenters from Judea even had opportunities to travel abroad, and craftsmen could usually speak two languages with some degree of fluency. And so um, they didn't seem to be poor, at least not by the standard of their time. And would we have reason to believe that was true of then the Holy Family because of Joseph? Yes. Yeah, that he could put food on the table, at least, and, and he was a reliable breadwinner. Uh, this, is, this is quite likely. Um, to, in order to be a craftsman in that time, you had to be a small businessman. You had to keep your own ledgers. You had to, you had to do billing. You had to collect on those bills. And, and you, you probably came into contact, into contact with people of all different social classes. So Jesus would have grown up in this milieu. He would have known wealthy people, and he would have been able to converse with them. He would have known very poor people, and he would have been able to converse with them. All of those different projects that you mentioned before, you know, the, the fences for containing livestock and so on, you would, have, you would have spoken to herdsmen, you would have spoken to farmers, all of these different kinds of people. It would have given you contact with... Um, with, with many, many different social strata and, and also people in a, in a variety of trades. So we can see where Jesus gets the knowledge that informs so much of his preaching, his metaphors, his parables. He came to know what people did for a living, and he came to understand people who were very wealthy as well. We see that many of his, his followers, or at least some of his followers, came from the highest strata in society. He was able to be at ease with all different kinds of people. And maybe there's a lesson to be learned for us in that as well. And uh, I have a great respect for carpenters yeah. uh, who built uh, the uh, crash and uh, been in, you know, part of it for 22 years and see exactly what they can do, um, uh, develop skills uh, in so many ways. I think about that every year. When, when you and I talk about the creche and, and uh, about the generosity of the, um, yes. of the union and, uh, and, the, and the individual carpenters who really gave their time, their, their free time, uh, to, to, to make, to make that, um, that structure and, and the joy that it must have brought them, that, that sense of personal connection with Jesus and St. Joseph. Yes, no, no doubt about it. There is some, some, a bit of controversy about uh, the date of, well, not so much the date as much as the age of, of Joseph, isn't there? That's right, because some of the, the, the legends from the early church um, uh, tell us that Joseph was a very old man when he married Mary. Now, some of, some of these, these stories will even claim that he was in his 90s and that he had grandchildren you know, present at the wedding who were the age of Mary. Um, now, uh, the, the the scriptures don't 
don't tell us uh, one way or another but anything about Joseph's age, but they do tell us about the things that Joseph did. And it, it just does not seem possible um, for a man who's in his 90s. And, and indeed, they'd be challenging even for a man my age, and I'm, I'm nowhere near my 90s. <laughs> but, you know, Joseph had to undertake several arduous journeys, um, you know, on, on, probably on the back of a donkey, uh, on, on rough roads. Uh, the journey, the flight into Egypt would have been more than a thousand miles on back roads, and it would have been at a brisk pace. And it would have been just a little bit much, I think, for a man in his 90s. I tend to believe, as, as, as many, many of the saints have believed, although not all, I tend to believe that St. Joseph was a young man, a vigorous man, and, uh, and, uh, and, and he had the energy of a young man. Am I, 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 I tend to believe differently. I don't believe he was in his 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, my belief is that he was a... A, a friend of Mary's father, and that he was uh, closer to that generation uh, above her. So he wasn't really. She was young, and so he wasn't that that old in terms of the way we would think of what is old age mm-hmm. today. Yeah. And um, I, I buy into the the belief, certainly not held by the church, that. Uh, he did have children, and in the scriptures, those are the the, the names that are given about uh, Jesus's brothers and sisters. That they were, in effect, um, in that they belonged to Joseph when uh, Mary moved into Joseph's home, where some of the family lived. I'm not asking you to believe this, of course, just in terms of my belief, and that one of the children was John the evangelist. He was the youngest of them. And um, that that's why there, there was his closeness to Mary, that Mary, uh, in, 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 in essence, raised him because his own mother had d- died in birth. So it's, that's not my story. It's a story, uh, one of the many stories about the birth yeah. of, uh, of, uh, of Jesus and um, Mary and how she lived her life and and um, being a carpenter, uh, he, he was probably, Joseph would have been a, a strong man. I don't see, yes. not any of the carpenters that I've seen aren't heavy, really. Yes. yes. Um, so that's, yeah. and I've always been fascinated by, by, um, uh, by, by uh, the words from Jesus from the cross. You know, when he, he speaks to John and Mary, you know, this is your mother and this is your son and uh, you know, take care of of one another, and that it was real because it was a real relationship. So that's yeah. where I'm at. But I'm open. There's so many other things in your book that I've learned that uh, I had no idea. Maybe because I never questioned them, accepted the simple story. Yeah. But it, it you bring alive that time of what the world was like at that time. Well, and you certainly, you certainly have fathers of the church on your side in that discussion, and and modern scholars as well. Uh, you know, it is it is a matter of some controversy. Um, so, and the church has not declared one way or another, and right. and God has not revealed these details to us. So, so these are kind of um, uh, up for discussion. You know, they're they're uh, they're 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 very live discussions even today. Now, I I've, I I can't say this. Um, um, 
broadly, but certainly the carpenters that I've known tend to be uh, spiritual men, if not religious. Mm-hmm. Oh, how, how were religious beliefs practiced at that time? Well, in the Holy Land, it was expected that you were going to, uh, that, that you, were, you were one of the people, and the religion of the people uh, was, was what we t- today call Judaism. It was just the religion of the land. And in your village, you were expected uh, to conform to the religious practices. You were especially, uh, you were expected to, um, to, to keep your house according to the ancient law. You were expected to keep a kosher kitchen. Um, you, were, you were expected to abide by the purity regulations. Um, uh, also, you were to keep the Sabbath. Uh, every week you, were, you, you should be present at the, um, at the synagogue. Uh, the synagogue would have been really the center of life in the village. It would have been the one communal building in the whole village. Uh, there would have been individual houses, some of them built into the hillside. Uh, we can see that today in, in Nazareth. There, there were caves in the hillside, probably dug out from there, and there were the, the, the houses were built out from the caves. Um, but the one common building would have been the synagogue, and, and surely the carpenters like Joseph, like Jesus, would have been involved in the construction and the upkeep of the synagogue. It was the most important building. That's where really any um, any uh, communal gathering took place. Not only worship, but it, any gathering. It was also used as a hostel for any visitors who happened to be passing through town, so they could have a place to stay, and uh, the people of the village um, could exercise hospitality for strangers. Um, so the synagogue would have been very important. Worship would have been very important. Three times a year, all the males uh, over the age of 12 were expected to um, to go to Jerusalem to celebrate at least three of the feast days, uh, the, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Passover, and the Feast of Pentecost, that those three were supposed to be kept sacred that way, that the males, the adult males were required by law to go to Jerusalem. So that would have been a great and festive thing as well for, for the village to make that trip. All the males of the village and some of the females could make it too, um, uh, make it together. Why um, had Joseph resolved to divorce Mary? Well, that too is a matter of great debate, and uh, and and there's a lot of discussion about his motivation. The uh, the the account in Saint Matthew's Gospel is kind of puzzling, and it doesn't really tell us his motivation. Well, there are three major theories that have been around since the time of the early church. Um, there there there's the suspicion theory. You know that, that that says that Joseph uh, suspected Mary of adultery because they had already been engaged, betrothed, and this was this was a permanent commitment. Um, the, the suspicion theory holds that Mary violated, or that Joseph believed Mary violated um, the the uh, the agreement. Um, the second is the perplexity theory that Joseph knew that Mary could not do could not have done that that she was too virtuous. She was too good. She was not capable of that. But he did not understand how this could be. He was perplexed, and he, he was troubled by this. Um, the third theory is the reverence theory. The reverence theory tells us that he understood, as St. Matthew tells us, that she was pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he was so in awe of this event that he knew 
he was unworthy of it. He knew he could not live up to the, the expectations involved in being the, the father, the caretaker of the Messiah, and so he planned to divorce her quietly so that he could go off um, and, uh, and live his, live his, uh, his lesser life, I, I suppose. Um, I, 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 I lean toward the reverence theory, but I also believe that there was an element of perplexity uh, mm-hmm. to, to, the, to the experience as well. He was perplexed. He, he was in awe. Um, he was confused, and he, he wasn't sure what he should do. Um, and, uh, and, and so he, he did what, what people did in that time, and, and he prayed to God, and God gave him guidance through the ministry of an angel. Right, that's where, let's go, we'll go there. You uh, indicate that the, you write that the great difficulty in sketching the character of Joseph of Nazareth is that Scripture never shows him speaking, and that no humans speak to him, but four times an angel speaks to him. Tell us a little bit about Joseph and his angels. Isn't that remarkable? Yes, you know, that it is. He, he has more conversation <laughs> with, uh, with angels than with people. And four times he receives an annunciation the way Mary did. Four times. You know, we celebrate a feast for Mary's one annunciation, as we should. But Joseph had these four encounters with angels that were vivid. Um, and, and they told him what to do next. An angel tells him not to fear to marry Mary. An angel tells him to, uh, to, to, to take the family and flee to Egypt. And an angel tells him to return to the Holy Land from Egypt. And then an angel tells him, you know, to avoid certain lands uh, because, because, of, uh, because of enemies who were there who, who, would, who would work, work against the Holy Family. So, so we have three or four appearances two of them two of those may have been the same message from from the angel but we have three or four appearances from angels uh and uh, and that's pretty remarkable now my contention is that joseph was just fairly typical of a man of his time that he had a deep devotion to the angels that was cultivated because of the liturgy of the temple and the liturgy of the synagogue, and it was there in popular piety uh, of his time. We see it all through the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were produced during this period, during this period when Joseph and Jesus lived. And, and we see it in, in so much of, um, of what remains from the popular piety of the next generation. We find it in Josephus, we find it in Philo, in, in all of the, um, the extra-canonical books of Judaism that we have from that period, that the Jews were intensely devoted to the angels. They expected the angels to be active in human history, um, uh, the, the good angels and the fallen angels as well. And they saw this life as a warfare, not only between good and evil people, but also between good and evil angels um, who, were, who were fighting the same battle as those people were. Joseph would have seen himself to be caught up in that drama. And he would have had a deep devotion to the angels. And that's why I, I believe that these, um, these events that happened to him were not so extraordinary as they seem to us today. And uh, he, angels are everywhere, as you point out, in the Hebrew Scriptures. And so Joseph lived as his forebears had lived in a world saturated with angels. And so he was alert to the angels' presence and activity he knew their company and their help. I wish that uh, more people today were indeed um, could could live that way with greater attention to the 
to the angels. Um, I do, too. I do, too. That's one of the messages of the Scriptures, I believe, because if you look if you look at the Scriptures from Genesis through Revelation, you see repeatedly that the angels play this very active role in human events and in individual human lives. You know, they're there uh, for Abraham, staying his hand when he was going to sacrifice Isaac. Uh, they're there for Jacob, who wrestles with an angel and who, um, and who sees the ladder going from heaven to earth, and angels ascending and descending. They're there for Moses, because the, the chosen people were led out of Egypt by an angel, by this pillar of cloud, this, this, uh, this pillar, pillar of fire, um, which was understood to be the guardian angel of the people of Israel. It's that way all through the Old Testament and all through the New Testament. The scriptures teach us to be devoted to the angels and to be in conversation with our guardian angels. And I am convinced that that Joseph and Mary both were raised with this awareness to a degree of intensity that, that we lack today and that we would do well to recover. And in fact, um, you point out that Joseph was known for his work, and his work was not biblical interpretation or preaching or teaching or philosophy or theology. He wasn't a thinker like Philo of Alexandria. He wasn't a priest like Mary's kinsman, Zechariah, though God had chosen Joseph for the greatest mission ever. He was an ordinary working man. We're going to take this break. Welcome back to uh, the final segment of Amplify. And when Mike's on, everything, the time just seems to go so fast. And I don't get even all the questions I want to to ask. But um, why was, in later times, uh, Joseph referred to as the angelic man? Mm, that's a beautiful, a beautiful story, actually. Uh, you know, theologians have always thought about the life of Jesus, especially the early life of Jesus. They want to know more, and they want to squeeze as much as they can out of the few details that are given to us in the Gospels of St. Matthew and St. Luke. Um, so, you know, they, they ponder these things. And, um, and pondering those, those narratives, they came to the conclusion that, um, that uh, well, they, first of all, they entertained the question, did Jesus have a guardian angel? Because Jesus himself taught that everybody has a guardian angel. You know, he says, let, you know, uh, let the children come to me. He says that their angels behold the face of the Father in heaven. Well, did Jesus have a guardian angel? And some of these theologians, most notably the spiritual director of St. Teresa of Avila, um, uh, who, uh, whose name was Gracian, um, he, uh, he concluded that Jesus' guardian angel was St. Joseph. Joseph was the man who was tasked by God to be the guardian of Jesus, the guardian of the Redeemer. And then Gracian did, did something very interesting. He, um, he went through the various orders of angels that we encounter in the Scriptures, both the Old Testament and the New, and he showed how Joseph ex excelled each of those orders of angels in virtue the cherubim and the seraphim and the thrones and dominions. He went through each, and he considered their duties, and he showed how Joseph was even better at these duties than the angels themselves were, all by God's grace. And so Joseph became known as the angelic man, as Jesus' guardian angel um, on earth during his childhood, and then as, um, 
as the man who excelled um, excelled the angels in so many ways. Uh, that, that was God's gift to him in order to do what he needed to do. As the husband of Mary, who is the queen of angels, Joseph would have been the king of angels once he he uh, he went to heaven, and uh, and so he was given an anticipation of that role even through his earthly years. Yes, um, you write that uh, through baptism, all believers have been given a place in the divine household, and have been called to share a table with Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Like Joseph, all Christians are now able to serve Jesus in close proximity as close as the angels, and as constantly as Joseph served him. God calls ordinary believers, as he called Joseph, to be his messengers and guardians, his power and his voice. He calls ordinary believers to be contemplatives in the middle of their neighborhoods and workplaces. And to be called ordinary is really special in a sense, isn't it? I mean, it's it's it it's it's not a derogative term at all. In fact, uh, Pope Francis speaks about in his letter, in his apostolic letter of Joseph, as an ordinary person. That's right. Uh, we we look at the lives of Mary and Joseph and Jesus, and and people did not look at them as anything special. They were just another family in the neighborhood, um, and uh, and and so so they gave a certain dignity to ordinary family life, and they they showed us how we can live that ordinariness in an extraordinary way. Today is the feast of the Epiphany yes. of Jesus' manifestation to the world, and of course he manifests himself to us today in the Eucharist. And he comes to us, and again, there is no distance between us and him. We receive his flesh into our flesh. There is no distance whatsoever. We come to share his nature. Um, and this is, uh, this, is, this is the greatest gift that, that we can imagine. It's the greatest gift that can be given. And, um, and, and today is, it's, is, in a sense, it's special feast day, because this is how he, he manifests himself to us today. This is how we encounter him, just as the wise men encountered him uh, in, in, uh, in, in Mary's lap um, at, at just shortly after his birth. And uh, here's, here's something for all of us to uh, reflect on. Joseph was given no more in life than most ordinary people. Yes, of course. You know, he, he didn't have a lot of money. He didn't have social status. He didn't have power. He didn't have celebrity. You know, when he... And he didn't, he didn't brag about the things that he did have. If you think about what he accomplished in order to outsmart Herod, in order to, to, um, to really... Um, uh, excel Herod in strength in a certain way by by outrunning him and outrunning his military. Joseph accomplished some some uh, amazing feats, but he didn't brag about them. He didn't tell others about them. He lived his silent life. He lived his quiet life, and he uh, he didn't draw attention to himself in any way. We don't have his words. We have very few of his deeds uh, recorded. Uh, he just remained faithful in his quiet way, and, and that's really what, what he exemplifies for us. He shows us how, no matter how little we, we find we have in life, we can still do great things just by our fidelity to God's call. Wherever he has called us, he's called us 
to, to do everything well and to do it as an offering. And, uh, and if, if we want to be like Joseph, we can just remain faithful to that. We don't have to fly to Calcutta to feed the poor right. there. Mother Teresa, who lived in Calcutta, living among the poorest of the poor, said, don't do that. Stay where you are. Grow where you're planted. And that's what Joseph teaches us. Stay where you are. Grow where you're planted. Do everything with great love and do everything with professional excellence, as he must have. And where we are, we're there for a purpose. That's there, right. Put there for a purpose. Why do you believe that Joseph was fearless right from the start? Well, uh, for so many reasons. <laughs> you know, we we um, we we find that that he uh, he was born for great things because he lived in the family of David, and you know he he probably did experience fear because it's normal to experience fear, but. But he was able to order his fears, and he was able to fear God above all others, all, all other things. You know, certainly he feared for the safety of Mary and Jesus, but he knew the strength of God was with him, and he knew that what he needed to do was be faithful, and that's what he did. He knew that fidelity was the thing that was required of him. Uh, not long life. Uh, he, uh, not you know, not all of us are given long life. Um, but he he had to be faithful. That was something that was expected, and that was something he fulfilled. And you point out also that uh, Joseph feared the possibility of failing God far more than he feared the wrath of Herod, and he feared the loss of his son more than the loss of of his own life. Yes. Yes. When you have these great things, you're willing to do great things for them. I think that that uh, that we know this because of our families. You know, the family uh, we 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 grew up with, our siblings, our parents, our children. Um, we do great things for them, and we find we find that we often have to do arduous things for them when they're when they're ill, when they when they they no longer can take care of themselves. We're called to a certain heroism at that point, and we rise to the occasion. I see people doing this all the time doing the kind of caregiving that they never expected they could do, but finding new skills and, uh, and, and growing into the role. Uh, St. Joseph showed that willingness to grow into any role that was needed. If he had to be the traveler who fled a thousand miles to Egypt on the back of a donkey, well, then he would do that. If he had to become a cartographer in order to know the route and, uh, and get himself there in the most expeditious way, well, then he would do that. Um, if he had to set up a business um, in, in a strange place and then pull up stakes and do it all over again a couple of years later, well, then he would do that because it's what love demanded. And that um, Joseph um, got things done, and that's why we refer to him as the worker. And <laughs> yes. like yes. Adam uh, and like God, you said he became a builder of the world. Yes, yes. There's a you know a great um, thing that sets uh, Judaism apart from all other world religions, and that is its esteem for work. Work was seen as a as something shameful. Aristocrats did not work. Common people worked, and so it was seen as as kind of a, a mark of poverty, a mark of of low social standing in all other cultures except in Israel. In Israel, it was looked upon as uh, as as a matter of great dignity, and all of the gr- great heroes of the um, of the Old Testament were workers. 
They were herdsmen. They were farmers. They were they were sailors like Noah. They did things with their hands, and uh, and and they accomplished they accomplished things in the working world. What uh, we see that that dignity um, applied in the life of Joseph, and it's something that Christianity took out to the world. The Greeks and the Romans had no such esteem for ordinary labor. They looked down upon it. It was proper for slaves. It was not proper for citizens. The Greeks did not believe that, that people who worked with their hands should be allowed to vote in, in elections. They should be excluded from that. No, Christianity believed in the dignity of work, believed that work was co-creation with God. No matter what you did, you were participating with God in the act of creation. So there's this immense dignity that's given to work. And so we see St. Joseph celebrated as the worker, whereas in a lot of these pagan cultures, that would have been a mark of shame. Yes. And Christians, you point out, if when we reflect on the flight uh, to Egypt uh, for the census and then uh, back uh, back when they leave leave Egypt and don't return home, they have always been curious about the Holy Family's time in Egypt. And writers from the second century to the 20th to our own time have produced fiction, imagine it as a time of miracles. Yes, yes, yes. There, I mean, there's not a lot that we know for sure, but we can kind of piece together what the, the, um, the journey would have been like. And it would have been rough. Um, uh, a lot of things lined up for them at that time because the Nabataean kingdom was was uh, was not having good relations with Herod at the time, and so they would have welcomed people who were refugees from Herod. That may not have been the case ten years earlier or ten years later, but they really did hit it at the right time, and they were able to find some some uh, a way through the Nabataean kingdom so that they could get to Egypt. Um, once they got to Egypt. Um, they were able to find their own people there. And I think we have to give Joseph and Mary credit for forethought. Egypt was a carefully chosen destination. It was a carefully chosen refuge. Four percent of the population was Jewish. There were Jewish neighborhoods in the major cities. There were Jewish villages in the countryside. There were Jewish suburbs outside the major cities. They were going to be among their people, and they were going to be in a place where they could raise their son in the ways of his ancestors, in the ways of his religion, where he could live a ritually pure life. They, they had the forethought to, um, to plan for this. Uh, Egypt was not a random choice. They were going to the place where they would be among Jews, and yet they would be safe from Herod. And um, each of us, each human being, has been created in the image of God uh, with labor, you point out, as a basic part of their nature. There's work that each and every one of us uh, needs to accomplish. That's right. No matter what our condition in life is, even if, we're, if, we, if we suffer disabilities, even if we're older, even if we're c confined to a chair or confined to bed, we can still offer our sufferings on behalf of another. This is the idea of redemptive suffering that we find in Colossians 1.24, um, where, where St. Paul talks about, um, about his, making up in his, in his flesh. He makes up uh, what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the Church. So we can offer our sufferings on behalf of others, and that can be our work. 
we can look at that as our nine to five and then beyond we could work overtime at it because we suffer because we're incapacitated we're in a privileged position to be more like jesus christ in this special work that's been given to us we don't know how long um joseph lived there there's some dates i think you suggest in the book uh, when he was born and when he and when he died mm-hmm. um but we what was what do we believe um joseph's role in jesus's life was what kind of education did jesus uh, uh receive you point out that uh his life began in extreme hardship he knew no privilege and he conferred no social status on on his parents but uh, there was this was not a stumbling block to Joseph. No, you know I, I think that that Joseph, in a in a sense, formed Jesus for the work that he would do. Joseph's Joseph's work would have had that social interface that was that was so important. Jesus grew up socially engaged because of his father. He grew up aware of many different human conditions, many different working conditions because of his father. He was he was given a trade. From the hands of his father. He was taught a trade by his father, and he did it with excellence. We can be sure of that. Can you imagine Jesus doing doing a, a shoddy job at his carpentry? No, you can't imagine that. Uh, and and you, can, you can be sure that he learned that excellence from his father. When the time came for him to take up a new task, that of rabbi, a teacher, he did it with the same kind of excellence. And I'm sure that he learned his approach to work from his father. He was formed for work by his father. And and the influence of a father goes on and on and on. Uh, One of the things I bring up in the book is is the scene of, of the finding of the child Jesus in the temple. During that weekend, they would have been there in Jerusalem for the feast. And at that feast, Jesus would have been taught how to lead a Seder supper. At, at the Passover. Well, that's where Jesus established the Eucharist. So we can see, even in his Last Supper, we can see the influence of, of Joseph extending to the very end of his son's life and into the lives of all of us because of the establishment of the Eucharist. In a sense, it was Joseph who taught Jesus the rituals that blossomed into the Eucharist at the end of Jesus' earthly days. Seder or Passover meal, uh, and um, he and Joseph and Jesus would have had their own part in that. Yes, it's quite likely that the the uh, the trip to Jerusalem that we find in Saint Luke's Gospel would have been the first time that Jesus was able to join his parents on that trip to Jerusalem, because it usually happened around the age twelve. Um, that that the child was was brought along so that he could learn the speaking parts in the Seder meal, so that he would be prepared when his time came to lead the Seder meal as as a father someday or as a rabbi among his disciples. And sure enough, that's what we find Jesus doing uh, at the at uh, on the night before he suffered. So this is um this is uh, a beautiful connection really between that last moment when we see him with St. Joseph and the last moment that he spends with his disciples before his crucifixion. Do we have any sense as to why Jesus stayed behind when his parents started back and realized that he wasn't with them? Uh, Well, yes. You know, he had reached 
the legal age to be uh, an adult male, really. Uh, he, was, he was 12 years old. When you turned 12, you were expected to, to take on the whole of the law. You were expected to live, live the law at that point. You were expected to make the pilgrimages. You were expected to, um, to, uh, to, to, to start paying uh, into, into, um, into, uh, into the, uh, the, the, the charity, so to speak. Mm-hmm. The, um, you, you were expected to, um, to, uh, to pay your way. And, uh, and so, so, yes, he had come into his own. He had reached adulthood. He was no longer uh, merely an object of guardianship. Now he was, he was kind of um, there to be in his father's house, as he said. He was there to be discoursing with the great teachers of his time. He was formed. He was ready for that mm-hmm. moment. This is really uh, the first beginning of his public life. And it's the last time that we hear about Joseph, yes. uh, even though some people believe that he lived, he lived a, another seven years. Um, you have a brief reflection on prudence at the end of the book. How is simplicity another way that Joseph uh, was godlike? Well, we say that God is simple. We believe that God is is three persons in one God. That sounds complicated, but we also believe that God is utterly simple, that God is love. And Joseph reflects a certain simplicity in his his actions. There was an integrity there between thought, word, and deed. Well, we don't have any of his words. There was an integrity between between what Joseph believed and what he did. And we see that he was always responding positively to God. That's a simple life. He was probably a very intelligent man, a very capable man, but he didn't complicate things. He didn't complicate his life by, by trying to resist God or trying to do his own will instead of God's will. Joseph lived with a simplicity that we would all do well to imitate. And you believe that his, his chief virtue uh, appears to be prudence? Yes, yes, because, because prudence, we think of prudence as inaction. You know, we, we, we think of, of people who are being prudent as people who stay away from action. No, prudence is, uh, bears fruit in action. It's, uh, it's something, it's, it's, the, uh, it's the kind of wisdom that leads us to right action. So yes, he, I'm sure he never did anything thoughtlessly, um, but he, uh, he, he, considered, he considered what God would want, and then he followed through with action. Prudence will always bear fruit in right action. And if you lack prudence, you point out that you will lack all of the other virtues also. Yes, well, that's that's Aristotle. I don't know if, if Joseph read read Aristotle, but but, <laughs> yes. but but certainly Christians do, and we recognize that in Joseph's life. And um, all the experts say that prudence involves a profound openness to reality, and we know that reality is not always what it seems to be. And as you write, as a Jew and son of David. Joseph knew history, especially the history of salvation, so he was able to detect the pattern of God's activity. He knew also how to recognize sin and its consequences. And I like what you write here, going back to um, uh, the the when when they're returning from Egypt. He went down. This is from Luke. He went down with them and came to Nazareth, and was obedient to them. God himself submitted to Joseph in obedience, 
what greater testimony to Joseph's righteousness could there be? We've come to the end of another program, Mike. I can't wait till we have you back again. Uh, thank you so very much for writing this book and uh, helping us to understand Joseph and our own roles in, in life today. Well, thank you so much for having me back, Father Ron. I always enjoy our conversations. They seem to go by in less than a minute. Yes, they do. Thanks. God bless. Take care. Bye now. So um, there's there's so much to be thinking about. In many ways, Mike uh, writes that uh, our world is different from Joseph's. The craft of carpentry is enhanced by remarkable machinery, um, but the world still runs on the same principles. Human nature is not changed. We face the same moral challenges as ever. We find stunning beauty in all of the same places. The horizon, the nearest faces, the sweep of mountains and valleys, the music and truth of a few lines from a poem. We travel our world more confidently when we know the story of Joseph in his world. We will reach our destination more surely if we have Joseph as a companion. Don't forget then how precious life is and how powerful love is. Tell someone now that you love him or her. Pray for peace as if it depended on you alone. And come back next Sunday and amplify with us.